Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, and welcome to part two of our coverage of Josephine Baker, dancer, singer, spy, civil rights activist, and star. We're going to jump right into the middle of Josephine's life in just a moment, but just a brief warning. There are two small boys upstairs right now, and even though they were ordered and begged and bribed to play quietly, you will inevitably hear them screaming and leaping off of things. Just so you know what those noises are. And now, disclaimer firmly in place. On with the show. We're back. At this point, Josephine is such a huge star in Paris, and she's pretty much taken over the world. But there's one country that's fame has eluded her, and that is her own country in America. And Ziegfeld Follies had come calling at last, at long last. She had a gig in the USA. The Ziegfeld Follies, run by Billy Burke, who you know as Glinda the Good Witch. I love from Wizard of Oz. Yes, indeed. So can we name drop here? Let's. How about this row? Another Wizard of Oz connection. Vicente Minnelli, husband of Judy Garland. Yeah, was there too. Yeah. Also, Moss Hart, Ira Gershwin, Balanchine, Bob Hope, Edgar Bergen, and Fanny Bryce. It was a big deal. It was it a big was deal. A huge deal. And she's on the lineup with all those... Famous Americans. And she was very, very nervous to go back. She said, I hear it's a new place. I'm afraid I'll feel like a stranger. I don't know what will happen. She was excited to see the Statue of Liberty. This time, This yes. time. She did get met at the dock by excited reporters, but the manager of the Samaritz Hotel, where they were booked, asked her to use the service entrance. So here she is touring with Pito, who's white, as her husband at the you know they weren't really married but and she is required to enter through a different doorway than he is wow it's not welcome so back josephine had taken to speaking in french because if she made an error in french well that's not her first language but if she made an error in english she was a no count you know right so yeah. the usa had trouble with her um they referred to her quote imitation of a french songstress Hello, she was a French songstress. Yes. She's not an imitation. She's not pretending to be someone else. She's just herself. And then the, the reviews just kept coming. They weren't good. Josephine Baker has become a celebrity who offers only her presence instead of her talent. Time magazine. Josephine Baker is a St. Louis washerwoman's daughter who stepped out of a burlesque show into a life of luxury in Paris. To Manhattan theatergoers last week, she was a buck-toothed young woman whose figure might be matched in any nightclub show and whose dancing and singing might be topped anywhere outside of Paris. Wow. They did not like her. No. Harlem did not embrace her either. She was compared unfavorably to Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald. Though she did sing at Amateur Night at the Apollo, incognito, as Gracie Walker, <laughs> and she made it through Nina McNeener. <laughs> Um, it was the worst bomb ever in it her was. whole career. The show itself, though, was not a bomb. It was no. just she was singled out. The routines that she was given, the songs that she was given, just didn't suit her. It was a hot mess from the moment that she stepped on the shores of the United States. And she blames Pepito for it, for not taking care of her. She did. Pepito and Josephine had been together now for about 10 years, and he was losing touch as far as she was concerned. He wasn't doing the magic that he had done in the past. 
So, unfortunately, she sent him away at this point. He lands in Paris, where within weeks, he dies. Now, what he died of, don't know. Maybe stomach cancer. But uh, the legend is he died of a broken heart. Well, some people eat ice cream out of the bowl. Some people knock back the whiskey. Josephine, to make herself feel better, opened another box called Shea Josephine in New York and got some of her own back because celebrities flocked to see her. And now the reviews are, to miss seeing her in her club is to miss one of the most entertaining performers of our day. What the heck? Just... What? Okay, didn't we just say a second ago? I don't know. She was terrible, news. and now all of a sudden, is it the intimacy of a small club? Is it being in her own house instead of on that big stage with all those other dancers and not in her element? Maybe she was better at Shea Josephine. I don't know, but she tried to do both for a long time, and the very second she could use her out clause in the contract, she bailed on the show, bailed on New York entirely. Her numbers were taken over by Gypsy Rose Lee. <laughs> so, while she was in the United States, she did manage to do one good thing. She got a divorce at last from poor old bewildered Willie Baker, who said in the papers, well, I'll take her back if she'll have me. Dude, mm, mm, no. It's not going to happen. She took your last name, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, now that is a formality, though, if I ever saw one. Yeah. Okay, so, back home, her real home, France. Yep. Where she set her mind now to getting married. That's her goal now. Yeah. She's thinking that she wants to be a wife and a mother. This is what she's thinking is the next step in her life. She dated this whole string of upper crust dudes and tried to be sweet to their mamas, but was rebuffed when it came to the grand prize. But one finally took the bait. That was Jean Leon. He was a sugar baron. His family was wealthy. They were Jewish. He was French. Well, he was a scamp and a daredevil. He taught her to fly an airplane. He snuck her in as a jockey in a horse race. I mean, you know, he was a wild dude. They, um, He proposed to her the very day that Wallace Simpson married the Duke of Windsor, by the way. How's that for a place in history? Yeah. <laughs> and during their civil ceremony, Josephine renounced her American citizenship. Right, that's uh, when she became a French citizen, and she had no problems doing it, she said. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, just given what had just happened yeah, to her, that's no. probably a pretty easy choice. Nope. So, Madame Leon was now a French woman for realsies. Hey. Now, what Jean Leon thought he was getting, I just don't know. But I think he thought he was getting a trophy wife. He was getting the superstar, gorgeous woman to have on his arm, to throw his parties for him, to mix and mingle. I mean, she's very charming in social situations. Yeah, he was irritated that she wouldn't work on seating plans for dinner. Um, who's managing the servants, Josephine? Um, <laughs> can't you sit quietly at the restaurant table with me and not get up? And talk to people at other tables. I'm like, dude, were you not paying attention? Okay, maybe she wasn't working the room when you met her on horseback, but that's what she did. Well, they were estranged almost immediately. Yeah, almost. I tell you. Yeah. yeah, she she claimed she needed to do a goodbye tour, a world farewell tour. It just kept going on and going on, and yeah, it was a marriage on paper. Well, John Leon was divorced. Goodbye, mister. So Josephine rented a 15th century chateau called Les Milandes and had set about refurbishing it as her project. She changed the name of the castle that she was leasing. It was originally Les Mirons. She had a hard time pronouncing the R, so she changed it to Le Milan. She's just reinventing everything. Um, she saw some newsreel footage of poor children in Paris who didn't have enough to eat, and she started to cry. 
And then, instead of just crying about it and feeling sad, she was a woman of action. She went and rented a truck, and she filled it full of food and coal and toys and had her chauffeur... (laughs) What a grand lady. (laughs) Had her chauffeur drive slowly through the streets of Paris, the slums of Paris, while she stood in the back like Iggy Threadgood and fried green tomatoes and Uh threw stuff out Uh the back of it. That's pretty cool. She's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah, um... Iggy Threadgood went every single day to the Red Cross Relief Center, this time as a legitimate giver. (laughs) Um, Refugees were streaming in from other parts of Europe. Mm, What was going on? She made and served meals to all these refugees. She wrote hundreds of letters, handwritten, to soldiers manning the border between Germany and France, called the Maginot Line. Mm -hmm. She sent over a thousand of them a Christmas present, an autographed picture of herself. You know, keep the, you know, be strong. I'm with you. I think she even went and entertained them. She did. She performed with Maurice Chevalier, who was irritated. All she does is wiggle her rear end. Um, yeah. Who's the audience? I know. Marie Chevalier. Yeah, you might not be watching her rear end, but all those soldiers are. I'm like, dude, that's the point. <laughs> but anyway, she she risked her life flying Red Cross supplies into Belgium with her pilot's license. When she wants to do something, she does not play. Not at all. Extreme. Definitely. All across the board. <laughs> her whole life. Contradictory extremes. She recorded a song up third Downton Abbey reference. Oh, my. I can't believe it. She recorded a song uh, from World War One, which is where you heard it in Downton Abbey, called If You Were the Only Boy in the World and I Was the Only Girl, or depending on who sings it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, she did it to raise money for soldiers' relief. So as of September 1939, France was fully engaged in the war with Germany. Josephine had made it clear long ago that she saw the Nazis and the racists as one pile of crap and the same pile of crap. And she made her disgust plain and obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbeknownst to her, the French espionage agency had been looking for, quote, agents that could move about without suspicion. And what a better agent than a tour- world-touring diva who had been doing it for all these years. Jacques Abney, who was her newest partner, was also a spy in the French resistance. And he brought her on board to become an honorable correspondent for the French resistance. Kind of like Mata Hari, only one-sided. You know, she, yeah. was, she was definitely doing it just for France. Well, and I tell you, people were a little bit nervous about that because Mata Hari had turned and become mm-hmm. a double agent. And so they were a little bit jumpy about women spies. But she said to them, France made me what I am. The people of Paris have given me their hearts. I... And ready to give them my life. You use me as you wish. Her first big coup was all these invitations to the Italian embassy, where she was able to get great info about, hey, when's Italy planning to join this conflict? Right. You know what I mean? Laugh and listen. Laugh and listen. This frivolous, ridiculous person in fur um, who has a cheetah at home. Oh, let's just tell her stuff. Who's she going to tell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she's fabulous. Maybe she'll give me a kiss. They will tell her stuff. They will tell nobody else. Germany basically took hold of Paris without a struggle. They'd just been through World War One. They were thinking, you know what? We've got lots of priceless objects here. Why are we risking this? They just caved, kind of without a struggle. Josephine, the wife of a Jew, a black woman, an outspoken Nazi opponent, and secretly a spy, though mm-hmm. no one knew, had to get out of Dodge. Seriously, you can't be staying in Paris. No. 
she had, this is so typical, collected gas in used champagne bottles for weeks. <laughs> she is a forward thinker. Yeah, that she her, saved the champagne bottles in the first place. <laughs> so her Packard, filled with animals, clothes, her maid. She travel without a maid. No. Um, tons of champagne bottles. And a couple of refugees went south 300 miles to her chateau, and it became quite the gathering place for the resistance fighters. The Germans showed up at the chateau one day. They demanded to search the house. And here's all these resistance fighters in the house. And what did Josephine say? Oh, you cannot be serious. Weapons? I did have Red Indian grandparents. No, she didn't. But in my family, we hung up our tomahawks years ago. Basically, Scarlett O'Hara'd them. They frankly left flattered and feeling like real men, and they didn't search the house. Thank God, because you could be executed. Yeah. There's a lot that they would have wanted there, that's for sure. Oh, my God. So she saved the bacon. They heard about Charles de Gaulle's goal to organize an anti-German force, and oh, Josephine was on board with that. Okay. They made friends with people that could vary information back and forth, but the heat was on. They had to move further south. Jacques would be traveling as her secretary, and they would go on tour. They would cross over borders to different countries. And she had the invitations, no matter what country she went to. She had the society invitations. And no one would think to search Josephine for information. She was doing what she had always been doing with her secretary by her side. Sometimes she would bring information back because she would, it would be written on paper and she would pin it to her undergarments to bring it back over because who would search her? Nobody. Nobody. Are you going to get Madonna off the tour bus and see if she's carrying? She's carrying something in her panties? <laughs> Maybe it's no. your dream no. to do it, but you're not really going to do it. Not even no. if you're the worst policeman no. in the world. She no. was having, they were having no trouble crossing borders mm -hmm. and shuttling information back and forth. Sometimes um, she would write information on sheet music in invisible ink in the margins and just simply cross, I mean, cross the borders. She's a musician. Of course there's sheet music. There's a quote from this time that said, The destiny of the Allies was written over the pages of J'ai Deux Amour. That's something else. That is. How many lives do you think she saved? And you thought boobies and bananas was her legacy. No, oh, no, no. She actually rose to the position of sub-lieutenant. I mean, that's like a big deal. She made friends, <clears throat> friends, with the Pasha of Marrakesh, a man who had 300 concubines, but yet took to Josephine Baker a lot. He owned slaves, even, still. But whatever. What a curious friendship that was. He has several curious friendships. Yeah. He was also a supporter of de Gaulle, and he vowed to help her. And so he would invite people like Winston Churchill to his palace to get some information. There's Josephine. You don't have to dig it out of your underwear, girl. Just, just take it out of the box. Just tell him. Josephine was 35 years old, um, and she was pregnant. Who was the father? The Pasha? Jacques? We don't know. We don't know, but... She lost the baby. See, this is also shrouded in mystery. Was there a miscarriage? Was there even a miscarriage? Was there? There's some sources that I read that said she was seeing a fertility doctor to try and see if she could get pregnant, and that's when she developed this infection. But in other reports, she lost the baby and developed septicemia, that horrible thing that stalks so many women in her podcast, including Jane Seymour, mm -hmm. Henry VIII's mm -hmm. wife. Um, she received an emergency hysterectomy 
at some point during this distress, she'd always wanted to become a mother, and this put paid to that situation forever. And it kind of put a little damper on her spying activities because she was hospitalized for 19 months in yeah. Casablanca. <laughs> I guess if you're going to be sick. I know. Well, the thing is, that infection went all through her system. She just couldn't shake it. And she was very, very near death. Mm. Well, word got out that Josephine Baker was dying, and Langston Hughes was actually assigned to write her obituary. I wrote it. That's amazing. The Pasha paid 300 beggars to sit outside her window and chant prayers for her recovery. Yeah. Creepy. I don't know if I would like that. 300 voices chanting. Maybe it becomes a nice white noise after a while. Maybe, especially if you're sick. <laughs> Fading in and out of consciousness, you know, and in severe pain. The American army came calling, and they had a big, big, huge problem. The Americans had taken Morocco. Fine, that's good. But now there's all these soldiers here, and there's nothing to do. If you talk to a girl on the street, she and maybe you could be killed. Mm. That's not R&R. &R. No. That's not R&R &R at all. Black soldiers and white soldiers were not getting along. The U.S. had a segregated army. So who could bring all these people together and entertain them? Well, how about Josephine, who's now up? She's still pretty weak. Um, she had lost quite a bit of weight. She was so complaining. This was her bit. She's like, my bum is all flat. My legs are like sticks. Not like, I feel sick. I've been near death. No, her bum is too flat. That's right. Maybe she could, she could definitely entertain them, but would they be entertained by this body? Wow. <laughs> that makes okay. She actually sold some jewels and an apartment in Paris and awards to raise money so that she could travel to perform, to entertain. Yeah, two years of tours came back. Old mm -hmm. Spark is back all over North Africa. And at every performance, she backed Charles de Gaulle and his army, the Free French. She would roll out, end of every performance, a Free French flag. One night, here's this for diplomacy. This is girl little Harry works, man. <laughs> One night in Egypt, King, King Farouk, was staying at her hotel. Of course he was. And asked her to sing. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't. Egypt has remained neutral. But... Big smile. I am singing later at a concert celebrating Egypt's support of the Free French Army, if you'd like to be my personal guest. <laughs> Dude showed up. <laughs> she did. That's the world now saw Egypt as a supporter of Charles de Gaulle. Rooms full of diplomats could not have pulled that off. No. Okay, D-Day, June 6, 1944. A couple days after her 38th birthday, the Allies, including the Free French were taking control, and by the end of the summer, Paris was free. Josephine, at long last, was going home. It's been years and years. She was absolutely celebrated as a resistance heroine. She had the triumphant return to France. Justifiably so. Oh, yeah, she did a lot for the country. She did a lot for the soldiers, mm -hmm. for morale, and for the actual war efforts. Yeah, well, I mean... I don't know how many people even knew about that part. I know. Because of her work... She received the Croix de Guerre, which is a cross of war, which is a big deal. And later she would receive a Medal of Resistance for her work. She's a decorated French Army sub-lieutenant. On her tour, the conductor for this tour was a man named, by the name of Joe Bouillon. I love that name. It's so fun to say. Uh, Joe would travel with her, obviously, because they were on tour together. They were entertaining the troops together. Joe was an openly gay man. However, she and Joe married. Oh! Now, what brought them together? I mean, they've been through a lot together. They were friendly. Was it love? 
you know, here's the thing. Joe's band had been broadcast for years on French radio. He had lots of experience performing and, and of the scene. He knew everybody she knew. They understood each other. And she said, I need work. He has an orchestra. We can travel together and get bookings. Which to me sounds like Carrie and Eddie from way back in the day. Mama Carrie and Papa Eddie all over again. That's funny. First up, their first priority, or I should say Josephine's first priority, is to refurbish Les Melandes, to get it up and running and turn it into sort of an amusement park, tourist attraction. Um, she, it was kind of a vague concept that she had, but she wanted to promote brotherly love. That was the theme, and she wanted to do it. And it's, it's a beautiful, huge castle with outbuildings and Go to our website. We have, we'll have a picture of it up there. Two hotels, three restaurants, a miniature golf course, a soccer field. Why? Dunno. <laughs> a zoo. Tennis, volleyball, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. A patisserie, a foie gras factory. That's curious. And a wax museum that displayed scenes from the life of Josephine Baker. Nearly all completely fictionalized, by the way, because we know how it is. Here's the funny thing. She loved to have the pigs washed, Marie Antoinette, <coughs> but she often forgot to feed them. She had a man come out special to make neon signs with all of the cows' names on them. She would just do these grandiose things, and the place was hemorrhaging cash. Mm-hmm. But within two years, she was able to open it as a hotel, and it had a pretty big grand opening. Now, people did flock down to see it. They couldn't even fit them in, but... Well, Josephine had to earn some money. <laughs> um, so, while the renovations were going on, and while the thing was getting up and running, she went back to America for another bomb of a show called Paris Sings Again. It was a bad show, but it had a great effect. It galvanized her rage at America's racism. It's kind of like, this is when she turns the corner into action rather than being irritated about something. She and Joe tried to get rooms in 36 hotels in New York before they found one that would let them, as a mixed-race couple, Mm -hmm. sign the book. Right. Um, She was so angry at this that she wrote a series of articles for a Paris newspaper called Francois on segregation in the United States. And so she went incognito as, quote, Mrs. Brown all over the South and violated Jim Crow laws on purpose, all over the place. This is long before Rosa Parks. But it's after Nellie Bly. It is. <laughs> so there was a quote from a book I read um, called The Josephine Baker Story by Ian Wood. She was much tougher than those sit-in cats you see on TV. She used the drinking fountains, the lunch counters, and the ladies' room. They'd throw her ass out in the street, and she walked right back in. She's got some big ones. <laughs> I know. And, you know, writing about it the whole time. She'd been booked at a club called the Copa City in Miami. And she said, I won't play there unless some blacks are in the audience. And the club owner's like, mm, how about if I pay you more money? And he was not about to go there. Not even $10,000 a week was swaying her. Oh, also, I want to be booked in a room at this hotel that's never had a black patron before. You just arrange that and I'll come on down. And so the owner caved in, and he actually flew black and white celebrities to her opening. Among them, famously, sharp-tongued gossip columnist Walter Winchell. Everybody reads Walter Winchell. Right. He said of this thing, she's money in the bank for any top spot that can get her. Warner Brothers took the bait and booked her to do shows all over the U.S. in film theaters because that dang television was eating into their profits. (laughs) They needed to pull out some stops. And so for $7,500 a week, she did. All over America, she insisted. 
Some of the musicians have to be black. There can be no discrimination in sale of tickets. None. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the one city that told her no, St. Louis, her hometown, even for 12000 a week, she said she wouldn't play there. But she did convince her mother and sister to move to France. She told them, you can see what it feels like to be free. Come back with me when I go back. That was amazing. So she took on the tough city of Las Vegas. Her contract said, okay, a table of six black people right up front every night. So they would seat the six, but then everybody waiting in line, well, sorry, six of you have come in, you people. And so she, with this full theater of people ready to go, she's like, no, my contract specifies an integrated audience. I'll just wait for that to happen. (laughs) They actually had to cave. You know, the head of the local NAACP helped her. During subsequent shows in Las Vegas, they succeeded in getting mixed race tables seated in Las Vegas. Not even Sammy Davis Jr. could pull off what she pulled off. He, for a long time, was not allowed to stay in the hotels he was performing in. And she insisted on that from the beginning. Not only her, the star, but her whole company. How about that? We stay here all together or we walk. And I don't care. And they had to do what she said. Yeah. Well, they knew she wasn't good. She wasn't bluffing. Because she doesn't, like, at this point, although it would have been handy later, at this point she didn't yeah. need the money. No. Mm-mm. So, whatever. She um, refused to attend a national NAACP meeting because there was a law in Georgia that any white hotel that admitted a black person would lose their license. And that national attention, mm-hmm. national attention, to the point where the KKK started harassing her. Um, she said, I'm not afraid of the Ku Klux Klan or any other group of hooded mobsters. I'll meet them in the South or anywhere else they like, but I will not go to Atlanta because I have not been assured they will give me the rights they grant to any other citizen of this country of my birth. How about that? Bam! Her efforts were getting her so much positive attention, she hired two assistants to answer her mail, and then she turned it up a notch. She called on captains of industry in every city she went to. Why aren't you hiring more black people? Shame on you for having segregated rail cars. Um, She wrote a letter to President Truman. My husband and I thank you for our magnificent reception. We are working hard for the cause of civil rights, which I know is so important to you. Dang. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just reach for the stars. Yeah, why not? It worked for her whole life. The NAACP declared May 20th, 1951, Josephine Baker Day. And she was celebrated with a parade in Harlem. Harlem, they hadn't embraced her the last time she came by. All of a sudden, is throwing out the roses and the people screaming. She's riding in the back of the convertible, waving a parade in her honor. And what happens next changes things up again. We'll be right back. Have you been to thehistorychicks.com lately? We've put our favorite books from seasons one through three in a little feature we like to call the carousel on the right side of our homepage. Give it a spin, and if you feel inspired to click through and purchase, Amazon.com will throw us some cash. Thanks to Amazon.com, and a special thanks to you for listening. It is 1951. Josephine Baker has come back to America, and she's kind of beginning her career. 
this phase of her life as a civil rights activist. She's being welcomed back to Harlem and back to New York. She's a, she's a big star. And she goes to dinner at the famous Stork Club. The Stork Club is where you went to be seen, where you went to see. It was packed with the rich and famous. Uh, Walter Winchell, that fabulous gossip colonist, had a specific table that was always reserved for him. And that's where he got a lot of his material. Yeah, he would sit there with a telephone at the table and just jotting notes and smoking cigarettes furiously. Yeah, I'd be on my best behavior in there. I know, right? Um, He's watching what's happening. Uh, Grace Kelly is there as well Mm -hmm. that particular night. So Joe and Joe had gone to the Stork Club with this whole bunch of white actor friends from South Pacific. You know, gonna wash that man right out of my head. That show. I was going to let you sing a little longer. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) Also in their party is Bessie Buchanan, who will later become the first black woman elected to New York State Assembly. So it's kind of a powerful, colorful group that sits at the table. And they order champagne, and they're drinking their champagne, just like everyone at the other tables around them. They order their food, just like everyone at the other tables around them. But unlike the other tables, they don't get theirs. Although, there are some sources that say the only person that didn't receive their food that night was Josephine Baker. Whatever happened, somebody wasn't served promptly or in the time period that they felt was necessary. And Josephine stormed up from her seat and got on the phone with the head of the NAACP. She's filing police reports. This could lose them their liquor license permanently. It was a big, big deal. Picket lines formed afterwards around the store club protesting. And Josephine claimed that Walter Winchell should have used his celebrity to speak up for her, and then she called him a racist. He was outraged. The Stork Club owner, in fact, was one of his best friends. This had nothing to do with him. Why was she trying to make him choose or putting him at odds with everybody? He was so mad. Oh, she was on his list now. He accused her of this sliding scale of crazy being friendly with the nazis called her josie phony baker began to refer to joe bullion as joe soup nice Uh, clever called her an anti-semitic rabble rouser and eventually his rants got so hysterical that this kind of marked the end of his career now josephine wasn't going to sit still she actually fired back with some lawsuits against winchell against Hearst publication and the company that syndicated him i mean there was It was a huge, he said, she said, firing back and forth in the press. And the case went on and on, and Josephine became kind of too controversial to employ. One by one, her bookings dropped off, and people used to move away from her in restaurants now. That's very hurtful and sad. And that's what she saw. What she didn't see was that Walter Winchell was sending information to the FBI. Gossip. Sheer gossip. And that's when the FBI opened a file on Josephine Baker, a file on an investigation that would last for 17 years. Over a stake. Amazing. <laughs> Finally, she can't take the treatment that she's being received and how poorly she's being perceived. And she said, at this moment in North America, I am branded because I have the courage to speak of atrocities resulting from race and religious discrimination. I am the traitorless. I am the undesirable. They will not stop my activities as long as there are Negroes that need me. And she left. She accepted an invitation. How about this for name dropping? From Ava Perone's widower. <laughs> and went to Argentina. Um, my wife loved you and followed you, said Juan Perón. 
And she was kind of tricked by his charm. He was yeah. kind of a Desi Arnaz mm-hmm. smooth dude, you know? Mm-hmm. And she felt free to say some pretty bad things about America from that country. She said, it's a barbarous land living in a false Nazi-style democracy, as the entire world knows. And the Yankee spelled hilariously Y-A-N-Q-U-I. Democracy, the Negro has no rights whatsoever. I have personally seen many lynchings and men and women killed like animals. Referring to President Eisenhower, she said, Black people will suffer as they have never suffered. May God have pity on them. Okay, so the U.S. Immigration Department went ahead and barred her from reentering the country. And she said, and this would follow her, unfortunately, for quite some time, to be barred from the United States is an honor. So... The black community freaked out. Forget all you did before, because you just wiped it out. Mm-hmm. You just wiped it out, and now we're back to square one. Yep. Thanks for that. Dang it. And then she discovered that Perone was using her as a propaganda tool. She discovered his hospitals, they were only for his friends. This whole equality that he had mentioned, that was crap. He was just using her the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she was disgusted by both Americas, frankly, and she decided to go back home. She went back home. So if she couldn't find the community that she visualized, she would create it. So back in Le Milan, her and Joe begin adopting children. She's calling them her rainbow tribe, um, and the whole idea is to show universal brotherhood and love in one community, in one family. They can do it in their little village of Le Milan. So they were going to adopt four boys. And as she put it, and as we would never put it, this is Joe, one black, one white, one yellow, and one red. Huh. She ended up with two Asian boys, Akio and Tanuya, that she renamed Jano, I don't know why, both children of Asian mothers and American servicemen. She found a Jari in Helsinki, and after some trickery, this is the one I don't like, after some trickery, a boy was adopted from his large family in Colombia with the understanding she'd keep them updated and bring him to visit, and instead, the second they left, she changed his name and never told him anything about his past. Which is kind of inconsistent. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the rest of them, later on, she would take them back to their countries and bring them on tour. But sure the rest of heritage. them were orphans. Yes, yeah, that's right. And that's he true. was not. Mm-hmm. That's like the uncoolest thing she ever did, by the way. Okay. Then, Josephine came home with a French child, Jean-Claude. Okay. Um, a, he's not an American Indian, the only thing we were missing, and B, Josephine. This is child number five. Well, she said American Indians are hard to come by. You're going to have to be, you know, patient. I know. Let's adopt a Jewish boy. Yes. That's kind of rare. He's a he's a minority, too. So they adopted Moisey. Moisey. But she couldn't stop. The estate was getting half a million visitors a year. Fair enough. But the overhead was really big. And so Josephine Baker needed to go on tour for money. And she went on tour, and she came back with two more children, Brahim and Marianne, who'd been found in the rubble after an air raid in Algiers. They were orphans. Joe Boyan is literally freaking tearing his hair out. Eight kids, that's double what we agreed. Mm -hmm. Double what we agreed. (gasps) Au contraire. Because there was a little African boy, Kofi, whose mother had died, genuinely an orphan again. Okay, that's nine. And Joe Boyan created this massive scene. What are you doing? He was, like, losing his mind, losing his temper. But unbeknownst to him, another little girl was on the way. And when Rama, it's her name, from India arrived, 
Josephine Baker said, oh, no, no, this child is for Margaret and Elmo. Right. I didn't plan this for me. And then, of course, Margaret, her sister, is like, it's for what? What is this? They're completely taken aback. Um, who wouldn't be? You know. Oh, by the way, I adopted you a daughter. That's right. I usually bring you back a scarf, but. And, uh, you know, that was total BS, by the way. That was covering the tracks. Yeah, big time. But whatever. For a covered track girl, Rama ended up being a very beloved only child. Yes. So good for her. Josephine was getting kind of crazy and unpredictable. I think she was feeling the pressure, honestly, of needing to provide money for all this. She's doing it to herself. She's mean to her husband, who would hide from her in the bathroom for days. I mean, you wouldn't see hide or hair of him. He was telling her she was close to $8 million in debt. They had to be done. There's another huge fight that ensued about money, and Josephine told Joe to get out. So he did. He went back to Paris and started to be a band leader again. And he said, for 10 years, I've been a decorator and farmer at Les Milan. And now I must take up music again to assure the future of these children. I refuse to destroy these children because of a whim of Josephine's. And so he basically is like, okay, look, I'm going to have to go earn some money. Mm-hmm. So he didn't been, leave, yeah. like divorce leave. He bailed to go make some money. Right. There uh, was some chatter about divorce. But all the children had his last name, and she was concerned that she would totally lose them, and he was concerned about their safety. The kids were mostly raised by nannies. Um, They called Josephine Baker Mama Cadeau, which means Mama Present. Mm -hmm. Because every time she came back, she would, like, lavish them with gifts. But, I mean, they liked her. She gave every single one of them, except perhaps Louise, who had a parent, and a whole family mm-hmm. who may have been better off left in Colombia. Uh, she gave them all a better life than they would have had, for sure. Um, in Venezuela, she couldn't stop. She couldn't stop. She was approached by a poor mother to adopt Mara. That's number 10 for keeping track. <laughs> there was a famous child found in a Paris trash can by a hobo. And, of course, irresistible. Josephine Baker adopted him and called him since he was found at Christmas. Oh. And then she met a 14-year-old boy who was all alone in Paris. And Josephine took pity on this handsome boy. I'll be your mother now. Now, technically, technically that's number 12, but he was never legitimately adopted. They traveled together and were just great friends, great friends. Financial crises dogged her. I mean, lawsuits and publicity over lawsuits. She was so in the hole. She got to a point where she had to rush her costumes out one door as somebody was coming to seize them for money mm-hmm. in the other door. Nonetheless, she felt free to adopt Stellina, real child number 12, and she actually got Joe Boyon to sign from his new home in Argentina as the father of record. I, <laughs> the money situation is getting... It's getting... Desperate. Really, really, really bad. There were the first rumblings of the chateau being seized right about now. So imagine the, her chaotic life. She's touring. She has 12 children in this castle that's not drawing in any money at this point. She was invited to appear at the March on Washington. She's the only official female speaker. This is the same March on Washington in which the most famous speech, I Have a Dream by Martin mm-hmm. Luther King, To which Josephine said to someone under her breath, well, I could have done that better. He wasn't forceful enough. Diva. (laughs) Can you imagine? It's a big moment in the Civil Rights Movement. It is a big moment. Um, Here's the thing. She wasn't supposed to come back to this country, as you recall. They had to pull strings and get the Attorney General, you might recognize his name, Bobby Kennedy, to 
uh, write her special permission to come in for this event. Pull in who you know, I guess. So she gave a series of Carnegie Hall performances, so well-received, but in no way enough money. She did get hundreds of thousands of dollars, but that is like peeing on a forest fire. Yeah, it's not. It's it's, not going to work. It's not enough. The people that she had hired to do all the renovations are wanting their money, and they wanted it for years. She's so far in the hole, there's nothing that she's going to be able to do to keep her property. And dramatically, she loses Le Milan. They come in to auction off her furniture and literally put her on the steps outside of her house. There's a terribly sad picture of her just sitting there with a cap on her head and bottles around her and her robe on her lap and no shoes just looking so contrary to any other picture that we've seen of josephine baker it's really sad she was invited another gig you got to take what you get by the red cross in monaco to perform in a gala the president of that red cross chapter was no other than princess grace kelly who had made an advantageous marriage since the last time we saw her mm-hmm. at the Star Club and had been very, very impressed with her since that incident. Right. As a matter of fact, since the Walter Winchell incident, um, she discovered that Josephine and her children were homeless. And she arranged for a villa, a Marivon. She was so grateful to Princess Grace and Prince Rainier. So grateful. And just never forgot that. I mean, right when she was at her lowest, someone stepped in. Right, and rescued her bailed her out absolutely so she moves down there with her children now the image that she projects of this time is of 12 tiny tots blown together by soft wind as a symbol of universal brotherhood but the reality was that family life while a little bit more settled than it had been in Le Milan and or afterwards in Paris when they didn't really have any place to live at this point there's eight boys living in a house together rambunctious boys where do we hear those? <laughs> it's kind of a theme. But it got so bad in the house that Josephine Baker had her doctor write a note. How sad is that? You have to get a doctor's no, note to just, show your children. The note read as follows. Dear boys and girls, you are being very mean to your mother. You are killing her. If you don't start being nice soon, she will die. And then she read that, and she stood up with her hands on the table and looked at every single one of them, and then she went out of the room. Like, dramatic exit. So she kept performing. Uh, I need money. I need money. I need money. The rest of her life, it was kind of absurd at some points. You know, her older semi-adopted son traveled with her. And there's a quote I read where she said to the audience, And now my son, Jean-Claude, will help me unbutton my dress so I can do a striptease to feed my children. So at 67, inevitably, she had a heart attack, followed by a stroke. And... Her doctors told her to rest. You're driving yourself too hard. And she would say things like, please, God, give me strength to survive. I have all these kids. I must go on. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And so she developed this odd relationship with this man named Robert Brady. Bob Brady. Bob Brady. 20 years younger than she was. You know how it's really easy to share secrets on Facebook, kind of? Like, you say things that you wouldn't normally say, or email is easier, or whatever. Maybe that was it, but Josephine Baker was kind of obsessed with this guy. That They just had a long-distance writing letter relationship. Maybe they saw into each other's heart. Blah. Makes me vomit. 
Anyway, he proposed marriage. You know, she's already married. Not living together. You know, not even meeting, really. Just kind of two spirits joined in the world. Mm, that's just weird. <laughs> um, she wrote, It makes me so happy. I'm stupidly in love, like a girl in love for the first time. I can't stop thinking about you. I see you in my dreams continuously. And then she also wrote, sex just complicates everything. Let's make sure not to do that. They actually, I know. I'm, sorry. I'm like, after this life, you're just realizing that at, what, 67? Okay. Um, they actually did meet in a church and exchange rings. Huh. Now, in Tudor times, that you would have been married. Uh-huh. But not in uh, 1970 in Mexico. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a nice man. Mm-mm, not at all. He wanted to show her off and shock people. Okay, her showing off and shock people days are way done, dude. Where have you been? Did the did the news not get to Mexico? That we're all done with that? The shock is worn off. Uh, the shock has left the building. I mean, totally. he would say mean things to her, like, your desperate need for love is unattractive to me. Okay. All right. But- she broke up with him. Why are why are you letting your spiritual husband harsh your mellow? That was just the weirdest incident ever. I'm like, what are we doing here? And, and there's some things that don't even acknowledge his presence. There's well, some do- yeah, it was so brief and it, crazy and odd. Yeah, and there's some that have him as her last husband from 1973 until her death. Oh, so never. it's time for yet another comeback and another time to take Paris by storm. Opening night. April 8th, 1975, she opens the, her final comeback show in Paris. It was a huge review, and it was called Josephine, and it was biographical. It told her story, mm-hmm. or a variety of her story, yeah. as they had her growing up in Louisiana, which we know. Well, St. Louis, but not Louisiana. Maybe it was a mistranslation, but... um Wow, did she, she hit it hard. This was like a, a 50 year anniversary special. All about her. And they blinged her up from head to toe and she put it on. They, at the end of the show, there's a 30 minute standing ovation. The reviews came in. They were glowing. They were. She was back. And some of the reviews even just said, pow. That's it. Power, man. <laughs> it was a huge hit. The president of France actually sent her a congratulatory telegram that was read out to the audience. Wow. And he referred to grateful France. So see, yeah. they still remember sure. what she did for of the country. Course. After an after show celebration in which she went to see a drag queen who played her in his act, by the way, <laughs> she went home and slept and she never woke again. They found her in her room. The, the next day, they tried to wake her up, and she wouldn't wake up. They thought she was just sleeping. Hours passed, and finally someone went in there and found her on her bed, surrounded by the papers. They had her glowing reviews, and she had suffered a brain hemorrhage. She was still alive and rushed to the hospital, but she never recovered. She never regained consciousness. And on April 12, 1975, she was officially declared dead. Tens of thousands of people lined the streets for her funeral procession. She was laid to rest in a cemetery in Monaco, not in Paris, which seems strange to me, but um, the roller coaster was at last over, and Josephine Baker was at peace. So what's her legacy? Madonna. Madonna. (laughs) 
we might say. Angelina Jolie with all those babies, I guess. Although okay. I think Angelina Jolie is a little bit more hands-on parent than yeah. Josephine Baker ever was. Um, there's a street in Paris named after her, Place Josephine Baker. Oh, I like it. She's on the St. Louis Walk of Fame. She was inducted to, into the Hall of Famous Missourians. And Chateau de Milan is indeed kind of what she had envisioned. Anybody in the Dordogne right now, you hire yourself on down there and take us some photos. Oh, oh, you don't have to. It's online. We will link you up. Please, 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 please. This website was so much fun. I seriously, all right, I have this thing about music on websites. I can't stand it. Mm. And I always turn the volume down. And sometimes I leave because I can't stand music. But there's her singing is on their website. And it's very slick. And you can see the rooms. You can see the wax figure of her on the glass mirror. You can see where the, the kitchen I mean, you can see it all, and the photos are gorgeous. The current owners of the place have created a museum to Josephine Baker in the in this residence. The website is just beautiful, and it's in French or English. <gasps> Convenient. Yes, so we will definitely link you up to that. YouTube has a ton. I compiled a little um, YouTube montage that gives you just some vid- ideas of how the power that she had over an audience. And there's, there's a banana dance. There's some samples of her singing. There's a video of her giving an interview later in life and speaking in French. And my French is very, very rusty. But it's still interesting to see see her talk and hear her voice. Um, so we have that a sampling of that in our show notes if you want to go check that out. There was a 1991 HBO movie, The Josephine Baker Story, with Lynn Whitfield and Reuben Blades as Pepito. And Craig T. Nelson was Walter Winchell. And <laughs> You know what, though? I keep thinking that that is a story that needs to be remade with modern movie making yeah. Uh, sensibilities. That's what I think. I mean, if they can remake Spider-Man so soon, surely. <laughs> they can do the Josephine Baker story. Surely they could do that again. Why not? But I thought Lynn Whitfield did a fine job. Tam Tam and Zuzu are both out on DVD. Um, and I would say, don't buy them. See if your library system has them. Yeah, that's what I got it through my library. And so if I can get it through my library, you can probably get it through yours. But give them a watch. Watch her shake her booty. Um, the, I wasn't really impressed with the official Josephine Baker site. There's a lot of links that are dead, and eh, it wasn't that great. Um, to because we like to point out things that we've done in other podcasts. She does make a cameo in the animated Anastasia movie and during the song "Paris Holds the Key to Your Heart." She's seen walking Chiquita. And okay, I'm freaking out. I did not know that. Oh, Maurice Chevalier is in it, too. They have, they're in this song. They have all these famous Parisians. And if you're in New York, you can go dine at Shea Josephine. It is on 42nd Street and is owned by two of her sons, her adopted foster child, Jean-Claude, the guy that wrote the book. The guy that unbuttoned her dress so she could do the striptease to feed her children. Right. And Jari, who was the first one to leave the nest and go live with Joe. In Argentina. In Argentina. Right? And Jari was the one from um, Helsinki. Finland. And it's kind of a, um, even their website is kind of interesting. There's a menu and there's pictures of the restaurant. And Her favorite dinner in all of her restaurants was spaghetti with red peppers. And I believe that's still in the menu at Show Josephine as a standard dish. And you can buy an autographed copy of Jean-Claude's book at the bar. Nice. <laughs> 
You know what? He may not be a blood child of Josephine's, but the self-promotion gene is, is activated. It definitely is. And um, finally, the last <laughs> reference that I thought was very interesting. She is number eight on Wayne's top ten babes of all time from Skit Wayne's World from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I would say she's made it. That's, <laughs> that's an irreplaceable accolade there. That's funny. Did you have a favorite book? I did have a favorite book. The book that I... Well, there's two. One's a children's book. We'll get to that in a second. But um, Josephine Baker Story by Ian Wood. Ian spelled E-A-N. Is fantastic. Here's the thing, though. It has a very off-color cover. I found myself having to sheathe it in other books as I oh, walked around. Because there's... Yeah, I mean, and it looks like an innocent picture. There's smiling and there's feathers and beads, but it is a nude picture, which I didn't realize as I was carrying it into my child's school to do <laughs> research in the hall. So, that, you know, watch yourself if you get the hardcover. Okay, that's funny. Um, her son, he did write a book um, called Josephine the Hungry Heart. I actually had to read the first part twice because it was very confusing. The voice was just bugging me. But once I got into it, it was it was a little more interesting. He seems to have done some extremely extensive research on stories that she said and then the reality. He interviewed thousands of people. I want to say it was like 2,000 people that he interviewed for this book. So it's a big one, but I would read it. There's also Josephine by Josephine Baker and Joe Bullion. Joe wrote it after her death from her notes. And the one that I, did you read this one first? Yeah, I did too. I read it to my son. Um, it's Jazz Age Josephine by Jonah Winter and illustrations by Marjorie Priceman. And it's a children's book, and it's just so fun. The illustrations are really fun, and there's bada-boom, bada-bing is, is the, some of the words. So it's just, it's a fun, fun little read. And then there's another book that is um, Josephine Baker, Image and Icon by Olivia Gonzalez et al., there are many authors, and it has, it's interesting, it has kind of the story and then photographs from that time in her life, and then more story, um, clippings mm -hmm. from newspapers, and that kind of stuff. It's like a multimedia experience, and it's got a lot of images in it, and so it's good, too. And it's, a, you know, it's not too hefty of a book, so it's um, a good entry-level book, too. So that is Josephine Baker, and I'm going to end this with a quote from the Ian Wood Josephine Baker book. She fought bravely for so many things over so many years for her success as an entertainer, for blacks, by which she meant anyone that she felt was slighted, for the allied cause in the war, for her animals, and for her children, who, in spite of the oddness of their upbringing, turned out well and remember her with affection. She was a dear, mystical, magical, unpredictable, idealistic, foolish, generous, and warm woman. She was a star. Thanks for listening. Bye! For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Ne me quitte pas, il faut doubler tout, possible qui s'enfuit déjà, oublier le temps des malentendus et le temps perdu, à savoir comment oublier ses yeux.